Praise the Lord, Brother Greg. 10,000 years, and we'll just be getting started. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans. Romans chapter number one. If you have the sheet that we passed out on Sunday night, this will be Sermon 7. You can add it there to your catalog and keep up with what you've studied thus far. Sunday night was Sermon 6, Romans 1, 9 through 15. It was the final sermon on the greeting and the introduction of Romans chapter 1. And tonight, we'll go into the theme of the book of Romans. This is no doubt two verses that if you're going to be a part of this study of Romans and really try to take it in, you must take in these two verses. I want to review very briefly what we talked about, just the highlights of Sunday night, Romans 1, 9 through 15. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for another day. God, another day to serve you, to live for you. And God, we are humbled and we are honored, Lord, just to be in your presence tonight. Lord, we thank you for the people that are here, the people that are worshiping online. God, we pray for the ones that want to be here, God, that are unable. God, we pray for the ones that should be here, but give it no thought. God, we ask you to be in our presence tonight as we study your word. We pray for those who are in Johnson City tonight. Lord, we pray that there would be a sweet presence of God underneath that tent. God, we ask you to give Pastor Ralph the strength and the clarity of mind, the strength of body to preach what you've put in his heart. Touch him tonight. Be with us as we study thy word. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen and amen. Romans 1, let's back up for just a few seconds to Romans 1. Go to verse number 9 through 15, and we'll kind of finish out uh, reading that greeting and introduction just so you can be reminded of where we left off and where we need to pick up on coming into the theme of this letter. For God is my witness who I'm served with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, we explained that in detail on Sunday night, but for what we're gonna go over tonight, kind of put a, a circle around verse number 14. We'll have to come back to that for you to better understand what he's saying. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. 
The Apostle Paul is making it very clear what his heart is. We talked about his heart and his focus that he wants to serve. He talk, we talked about his prayers. All through his letters, the Apostle Paul very frequently talks about what he's praying for. And he makes something very special here for this group in Rome. He's saying, every time I pray, without fail, the Holy Ghost of God knows that this is the truth, I pray for you specifically, church in Rome. It was a special heart connection that he had for this group of people. We saw Paul's heart in verse number nine. We saw Paul's tenderness in verse number 10. Remember where Rome and all that's happened there before the Apostle Paul gets there and where he's writing this letter from. He's writing this from Corinth and no doubt this is later in his ministry. We'll understand more and we'll embrace more, especially if you went through the book of Acts, study with Pastor Ralph, you know a good idea of what the Apostle Paul has been through already. But there has a, a lot of things has happened very specific things has happened already to the Apostle Paul. Yet, his primary focus is, I want to be in God's will. I want to be in the hands of a sovereign God who allows things to happen. I'm a servant to him. And Paul is still tender to the moving power of the Holy Spirit, even though he's had some hard times. He is tender to the will of God and the sovereignty of God. Verse number 11, we talked about Paul's gift. That word charisma, it's a gift of grace, a spiritual enablement whose source is the Spirit of God. In other words, there's nothing that's happening in Paul's life. There's no ministry action. There's no movement that Paul's not doing that's not Spirit-led. Paul's being led by the Holy Spirit of God to carry out the ministry that he's given him. This is a tender man with a big heart who has a lot of spiritual gifts imparted to him by God with a purpose and with intention. God called Paul. He saved Saul on the Damascus road with intention and with purpose. We saw in verse 11 Paul's gift. Verse number 12, you see Paul's humility. Paul's a humble man. You see exactly how he responds. He's telling these people in Rome, I'm going to come to you, this, if you will, VIP of the faith is going to come and he's going to spend time with the church in Rome, but he's saying, I'm going to get something from you. He's a humble man. Then we saw Paul's passion in verse number 13. What is the driving force of what he's doing? He's after spiritual fruit. He wants to see people come to Christ. We saw Paul's passion. Then we saw Paul's debt, verse 14 and 15. Debt to what? Debt to preach the gospel, and he tells us there to the Greeks and to the barbarians. We'll come back to that. Now, he ends this with where we go into tonight. I am ready to preach the gospel to you. He has finished out the introduction. He's finished out the reason he's writing. Now we get to the nitty-gritty. This is the cream in the Oreo. This is the turkey between the two slices of bread. And brother, there's cheese and there's Duke's mayo and there's a garden grown tomato that's still warm from the sun between two pieces of country sourdough bread. It's good what's here. Somebody say amen. I'm at Trinity Baptist Church tonight. All right, so next we dive into the theme. Very quick review. You'll notice I do not like to spend a lot of time in review. So if you're going to miss one of these sermons, go back and listen to it so that when you come next time, and especially on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights when we dive into Romans, 
uh, you'll want to be prepared to stay up to date. So here we are, sermon number seven, Romans chapter one. Go with me into verse number 16, verse number 17. Paul writes, and remember, here we are into the theme of the letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Pause. He finishes verse 15 and he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he qualifies everything he's introduced in his greeting with the theme and the reason for his writing. And he starts it off red hot coming out of the revolver. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In other words, what I'm getting ready to preach, what I'm getting ready to claim, I'm not ashamed of it. And I wholeheartedly embrace everything that's getting ready to happen in this letter. This is who I am. This is what I believe. I believe it has power. I believe it has potential. And I'm writing you because number one, the gospel is effective. And number two, I'm not ashamed of the effectiveness nor the source of the gospel. He's setting this up to be a powerful transition from saying hello into wonderful canonized truth that you and I hold near and dear even to this day. No doubt if you grew up in church at some point or you went to a Christian school, at some point you learned Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, who highlights or underlines in their Bible? Raise your hand. A lot of you do. Let me go ahead and help you before we go any further. Take your pen or your highlighter. I'm gonna call out between 16 and 17. I'm gonna give you some key words to kind of underline or to highlight. It will help you as you read these two verses and as we study. I want you to just highlight these words. I am not ashamed. Gospel, Christ, power, salvation, believeth. And then in verse number 17, therein and righteousness. And then faith to faith. Really embrace those words, circle those words because it will help you almost sort of diagram in your heart as God gives us this wonderful passage to study. So these two verses that we just read, they're vital. This sort of crystallizes the thesis of this entire book of Romans. This is everything that this book pivots off of. This is really where the rest of the book of Romans is going to sort of revolve around. I would consider 16 and 17 of chapter one to be the axis on which everything else revolves. If you do not get or if you do not believe 1617 chapter one in Paul's epistle to the Romans, then very kindly let me say this with all humility, you do not get Christ. Nor do you get the gospel message or the good news of Christ. If you misinterpret or misunderstand or mishandle what this wonderful man of God who knows Christ very well, who has written this letter, if you mishandle or mistreat these two verses, you're going to miss the whole enchilada 
Everything will be out of place. You'll have sour cream underneath your taco. Everything will be out of order. Are you with me tonight? I know it's Wednesday. I know we've already worked 40 hours this week, but hey, let's dive into this and let's ask God to do something in our hearts through these two verses. We must understand them. I am not ashamed. Now, take in with me now the gravity of what Paul could be ashamed of. What could Paul have a gripe towards God for? Why would Paul be able to say, I'm disgusted with the position that God has put me in? I am through serving in this manner. Well, if you studied the book of Acts and if you've ever studied the book of Galatians, then you know why the apostle Paul could have a gripe, could have a complaint. In just a short amount of time, the apostle Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi, Acts 16. The Apostle Paul has been chased out of Thessalonica, Acts 17. He's been smuggled out of Berea, also in Acts 17. He's been laughed at in Athens. He's been regarded openly and publicly as a fool in Corinth. And he's even been stoned in Galatia. But he remained eager, even with all the circumstances that he's experienced, he is saying out loud publicly, Rome, you may know who I am, and Roman church, you may have heard of all the things that happened to me, but let me make this clear on the onset, that I am not ashamed to be identified as a believer, as a follower, nor the good news that entails the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I embrace what the gospel is, even though all those things had happened to you. Now, could you imagine if that were you or if that were me in 2022 and we had gone to Pigeon Forge and people ran us out of town, chased us out of town because we were Christians preaching the gospel? How would you feel? Put yourself in his position. Go to Spartanburg and be stoned. And I do mean with rocks. Go to... Pastor Dwight got that. <laughs> Go to Tampa Bay, Florida, Miss Debbie, and be publicly ridiculed for teaching children for years and be called a fool in front of thousands of people and be laughed and be, have tomatoes and rotten vegetables thrown at you. That is the experience, that is the life that the Apostle Paul has lived for years now. And on the onset, before it even gets started, he's addressing the elephant in the room. I know you've heard about what's happened to me. I know that you know that I've had a rough time serving God. But let me remind you, church in Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I still believe. Why can he say that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Well, he's going to tell us exactly why. So all these things have happened to him and we must take that into context. But if, if I'm being honest with you, this is just my opinion. I believe with all of my heart that the Apostle Paul has taken all of those things that have happened to him, Brother Darren, being stoned, being ridiculed, being laughed at, being mocked. I believe with all my heart that all of those things have fueled a fire in him to get to Rome. He wants to get to Rome. Why does he want to go to Rome so bad? It is the seat of all paganism. 
It is the capital of all governance. It is the epicenter of art and culture. It is the place to be. Whatever city you hold in high regard in your heart as the greatest city on earth, whether it's New York City or Washington, D.C. or Jerusalem, Israel, no matter where that is in your heart, that is what it was for the entire empire. Rome was almost a god in itself. Part of emperor worship is that you would worship the place that he had built or that he expanded or made better. But Paul is so fired up in his spirit. He's saying, I have tried to get to Rome. God has kept me from getting there, but I'm gonna do everything in my power to get to Rome because he understands the importance of the church in Rome operating and doing what it's supposed to do. A Rome is the proverbial head of the snake and he wants it. He wants it. And neither ridicule or criticism nor physical persecution could curb his boldness to go to Rome. Paul is found in Scripture to be determined no matter what was said. No matter what the multitudes whispered behind his back, the Apostle Paul was always willing to do what was right and never willing to depart from the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This is a man of great spiritual stature. What our world needs, Trinity, what our church needs, what our community need, what our families need, are people who are true believers who are not ashamed of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That no matter what people think, that no matter what people assume of them, that in their own hearts and in their own life and in the way they parent and in the way they do business and in the way they act towards other people, that as far as they're concerned, there's no compromise with the gospel. There's no compromise when it comes to thus saith the Lord God. That is the essential problem that we find in America tonight is that you do have churches everywhere. You have pockets and clusters of churches that are active and doing things and they make a lot of noise and they may even have a lot of money. But at the end of the day, there's no structure. There's no real sustenance coming from God's word. It's a social club with people who claim Christ on Sunday at 11, but by the time Sunday at five comes, there is no difference between that person and the world. That is not a Christian. That's not a popular thing to say, but that is not a Christian. That is a person who has adopted the name Jesus Christ to become some sort of uh, pagan, pantheistic, want to be Christianity. True Christianity is to follow Jesus Christ in faith believing. And what we have is a generation of people who may even be true believers, but at the end of the day, they have drawn a circle around themselves and they refuse to get out of that circle. Because outside of the circle is an uncomfortable conversation. 
Someone at work who is constantly just flowing filthy language or showing images on a phone to get a laugh or to to create a shock in a room. And that person may even know that you claim to be a Christian or that you go to church or that you are a different person, but they want to get that shock value. And it's almost a a spiritual form of attack. And, And if we're not careful, what happens is we become ashamed of the reaction that may ensue if we stand up for what's right vocally and boldly to that person. That's a very small way to look at the problem, but it's an individual response to not being ashamed of the gospel. That all boils down to what are you willing to risk for the gospel? Are you willing for other parents at the ball field to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to take a conversation and shift it? That's such a simple way to put it, but I think it shows how systemic the problem is. And I think if God's people would embrace that they are not ashamed of the gospel and that they would be more vocal in the fact that they believe and that they follow Christ and they wish that the world were different and that people would pursue righteousness, what I think you would begin to see are little campfires building all over town, all over uh, culture and society of people who really do want things to be different. But rather the fire has been put out and people are truly ashamed and afraid of what may come in the form of ridicule. And what we need desperately are people, true believers that are not ashamed of the gospel, that are not ashamed to be identified as those who truly follow Christ, who truly believe that he is coming again, who truly believe God's word to be inerrant, infallible, holy, and inspired. Those are the types of people who make differences, just as the apostle Paul. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, I am not ashamed of this Jesus. If you're not ashamed of something, then you claim it. If you're not ashamed of something, then you embrace it. It becomes part of who you are. And unfortunately today we are plagued with spiritual spinelessness. There's spiritual cowardliness. There's spiritual contempt. We've taken on the idea that somehow the world's opinion of us supersedes our identity in the one who paid the price to purchase us. In other words, we've been purchased, we've been blood-bought, we've got a seat at the table, but we don't want anybody to see us in our new robe with our new ring or hear our new name or see us sitting at the Father's table. Because it may come with a consequence of being ridiculed as one of those who will willingly follow Jesus. I am not ashamed, Paul said. I will wear the ring, I will wear the robe, I'll be called of that name, I will sit at the table in public and I will let it be known that it is the only way. I'm not ashamed. Paul had a spine. Paul was no coward. Paul respected and honored Christ with all that he had. And Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If someone can embrace the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that, let's use this word, fanatically, then what does it say about what they know and about what they believe? To me, it says this. It says that Paul knew what the gospel was. He understood what the gospel is 
And he knew what the gospel could do. His own conversion story. Imagine being the Apostle Paul and having that as your testimony. That you were on the way to a city with letters in your hand that made it legal for you to go in prison and kill and do harm to the body of Christ simply because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And on your way to do harm to the body of Christ, Christ himself appears. The apostle Paul said, how can I be ashamed of what happened on the Damascus road? Jesus came to me and he saved me and he changed me and he's gone from going and harming and killing them to telling the good news. Right after Paul gets saved, you can go back to Acts and read this. It says straightway, Paul preached Christ in the synagogues. It changed him. Something happened on the Damascus road. It wasn't just some sort of emotional experience. It wasn't some hallucinogenic mushroom he took. It was the power and the presence of God, Jesus Christ himself setting apart this chief of sinners for a purpose. And Paul saying, how can I be ashamed? Look what it's done for me. And when Christians get disconnected from the reality of what you were before Christ, you will lose sight of not being ashamed of the gospel. But when it becomes more about what people can see in you or what people perceive of you or how much money that you can project in your lifestyle and you don't want to risk business, you don't want to risk popularity, that is when you become ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You don't want people to bunch you into some sort of far right-wing radical group. Yeah, I'm not like them. I, you know, I go to church. I, I keep my distance. That's what it sounds like. And we are plagued in the church today with that disease. We are missing the people who salivate when they hear the name Jesus and their heart rate gets high and their bones begin to burn with fire and they go, I'm not ashamed. I remember what I was before Jesus. Why, yes, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you about what Christ can do for you. That's the good news. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. But Paul understood that even though he was not ashamed, it would not change the world. Listen, here's where it comes down to the rubber meeting the road. I am not ashamed is wonderful, but just because you're not ashamed does not mean that the world will not respond in a negative way towards you. It may cost you something of this world. Jesus talks about losing your life here so that you can gain your life there. I'm very, very loosely talking about that, but... The point is, if everything in this life matters, if what happens here, the amount of money you have, the fame and the fortune you have, the recognition, the lake house, whatever you want to put there, if that means more to you and that's where you put your heart and that's where you put your energy and your effort, then the Bible says that's where your treasure will be. It's here. And then it follows it up later to say that all of that treasure will rust and corrupt and it will burn up. But the things that we put up and store up for ourselves in heaven, those things are untouchable. Not even a thief can touch it or destroy it. It's a lifestyle not being ashamed of the gospel. 
But Paul knew it came with a cost. He had the bruises to show it. He had the prison record to show it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul understood that evil influence would always mock Christianity. Christians being made fun of or thought of as crazy, radical lunatics is not new. Christians being public enemy number one, though it is changing in our country to come back into a mainstream school of thought, and if you don't believe that, come to my office one day and we'll sit down with a computer and we'll show you what that means. Go to a school board meeting and try to say prayer or read a Bible verse and see what happens. But take somehow a false religious book like the Quran and say, this is what I believe and I would love to read this. You'll be cheered and clapped. Oh, how beautiful culture. It's different. Let's welcome it. Let's embrace it. Give them the mic. But take your Bible and ask to read a verse and see what happens. Paul knew that that was the world's response to the truth. The Germans have a great word, and there's no real translation for English, but the word is zeitgeist. And zeitgeist encompasses everything that the world is. And I use the word world loosely. The closest translation you'll find to zeitgeist is makarios in Greek. It's found in your New Testament. It's the world. It's everything that ebbs and flows. It's the four levels of government that Satan himself has structured out in Ephesians and all the influence that they have on wicked, evil men who are under the possession of such evil. The apostle Paul knew that that was what he was up against even then. And tonight it is no different. That evil, that structure still exists. And he knew that Christianity would be made fun of, be fault lightly of, and that we would be labeled as lunatics and crazy people. 1 Corinthians 1.18, look at this verse. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The, them that perish is the world. That is the zeitgeist. That, are, that is the inhabitants that are not in the kingdom of God that makes up makarios, it's part of the world, mankind. And he's saying, for the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. He shows you the contrast. And if you can hear the cross preached about, or if someone brings up the brutality of the cross, or if around Easter time you embrace everything that happened prior to his resurrection, and you find the story of crucifixion and the cross to be foolishness, to be a made-up fairy tale, to be a pipe dream that has no real connection to reality today. 
than what your heart is saying and what the world says about Easter, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. It's foolishness. That God's Son was born and he had a ministry and he was a man and he was God and then he allowed himself, this all-powerful God, to be crucified. It's foolishness to them. But for us who believe, it's the power that we so desperately need. You see, Gentiles, pagans of Rome, used to laugh at Christians. They used to mock Christianity. When the Apostle Paul would preach the crucifixion of Christ, they would laugh him out of the place in which he was in. The idea that God's son would come incarnate and be crucified to pay for sin to the Romans was foolishness. On one of the seven hills of Rome called the Palatine, there was a depiction found by archaeologists that depicted a slave worshiping his God. And in this mural, this painting that was found on this hill in Rome, the slave is given a name. And as he worships his God in this mural, this depiction that was found, he's bowed and he's saluting to someone who is on a cross. And in that depiction, on the cross was not a human being. Rather, the Roman artist who was depicting this and mocking our faith depicted a donkey, a jackass on the cross. That is exactly what the Romans thought of our faith. And that hatred and that evil that existed in them then has not left our earth to this day. They still mock, they still laugh, they still scorn. And in some places they will still execute you on the spot for preaching Christ. That's what Rome thought of Christians at the time. That was the mainstream idea. There are so many places in Roman history where you can go back and either the emperor or a Roman senator gives a dissertation on what they thought of Christianity and the language for that time is some of the most vile, horrific things you could ever say. They were not bashful in making sure that Christians knew exactly what they thought of them. And I submit to you that America tonight is on a fast track to repeat that history in a way in which we have never seen in these United States. The uncomfortable feeling that you get when you watch the news or read the paper is exactly that, the zeitgeist working against truth and light. The truth is the antagonist nature of evil has never been subdued on this earth since the fall. The attempted concealment of that evil that did operate in our land, especially in America, is no longer part of the equation. 
trying to hide the intention of the evil, trying to hide the action of the evil, that was really part of the scheme. You go back to the 60s and the 70s and you'll see nothing more than a smoke and mirror show that's hiding, that's trying to obscure the view so that you can't understand that what you're watching happening is pure evil. The peace sign is a great example. Well, it's about peace and it's about free love and it's about being able to do with your body what you want to do. And a lot of it, and this may sound crazy, but a lot of it is wrapped up in the movement that followed even the Beatles. It was all seemingly innocent and hidden. The game changer now that you're watching happen in 2022 is that there is no longer any concealment they're drawing the murals of the jackass on the cross again. History is repeating itself. And Paul is in the midst of exactly what you're facing. Maybe Paul's was a little bit more dangerous because they could legally stone him. Yet there was something inside of him that says, they may stone me, they may imprison me, they may mock my God, they may make fun of my Jesus, they may try to harm my body each and every day. But at the end of the day, I am not ashamed. And I embrace it. Because it is the gospel of God and not of the apostle Paul. It's the gospel of Jesus and not of the Sadducees or the Pharisees. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that will redeem men and save them from an eternity in hell. Evil is once again out in the open on full display. And the evil that you're watching happen in your country and in places all around the world are being executed by demonic forces that are being given orders by Satan himself. And the spirit of the Antichrist is upon the land in a way in which the old saints of God can test the water and tell you that something is not right. Every blue-haired, white-haired saint of God that I know you talk to them in private, you get in an intimate conversation with them and tears begin to flow down their face and their cheeks because they know something is changing in the atmosphere. And it's the unleashing of the evil. What we're watching happening that's ripping our hearts out, the sacrificial execution of children Understand, church, this goes all the way back before even the Romans. It goes back beyond the bloodthirst worship of Pan at Caesarea Philippi. We find it all the way into the Old Testament, the scalding death altar of Moloch that was used for human sacrifice. And the pagan Canaanites enjoyed it when the participant of the sacrifice was as young as possible. It fed the rage and the evil inside of them that still exists on our land today. And whether it's in so-called clinics for women's health and it's 690,000 children as it was in 2019 in America or in Texas and it's 19 children 
or in Connecticut where it was 21 lives, the point is that same demonic evil that tears against humanity has only one solution. And it's not politics. You cannot legislate away the evil with evil people. You cannot mandate righteousness from unrighteous people. That's where it falls back on you and me to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to stand for what's right in the way we live, in the way we love, and in the way we serve each other. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. There's so many points to just this one verse. We'll come back to this at a later time. But what we all need tonight, what I've prayed all day in my heart is, Lord, I want to be committed. I want to be committed in a way that no matter what it costs me to be labeled as a Christian, that I'll be willing to never be ashamed of who it is that purchased me and gave me a new name. If you've gotten over what Jesus did for you, then I would invite you as soon as possible to revisit the night, the day, the afternoon, wherever it was that you got saved, wherever you were born into the family of God, and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for allowing me to have my Damascus Road intervention. And Holy Ghost, thank you for arresting my heart and saving me from an eternity in hell. And from there, you can build on embracing the faith openly, wildly, and without apology. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the truth of your word, for the power that we find within. Lord, thank you that you were working behind the scenes, even using secular history. God, for us to be able to see that yet again the Bible holds up to be true. Lord, it gives us more understanding and indication just how wicked and evil those days were and how resolved and determined the Apostle Paul was. And for that, we thank you for access. Thank you for preserving that information for your glory. And thank you for our word, our Bible, the holy inspired book that's in our hands tonight. Thank you for the truth that sears all of our hearts. Now God, my prayer tonight personally is, Father, I'd never want to be ashamed. I want you to give me boldness and authority. God, that no matter what it costs, I'll be willing to stand and claim Christ as he was willing to be nailed to the cross and claim my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. What an honor it is to be in the family of God. What an honor it is to be a son of God and not an enemy. Thank you for saving us, for changing us, and giving us this wonderful group of people to do life with and to believe with. Strengthen our church, 
strengthen our lives, keep us safe until the Lord's day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Be safe going home. See you on the Lord's day.